Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome everybody to episode number 32 of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. And this is one that we're gonna talk about creating value post-acquisition. It's one thing to tee up and find acquisitions. It's something totally different to make sure they're worth your while and frankly, worth your risk. So I'm gonna unpack a lot of those aspects on how to look at things prior to acquisition and how to make sure that you execute post-acquisition. It's sure to be a note-taking episode. To get your pad and pen ready, of course, brew a cup of coffee. We're off and running on the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. Thanks to everyone once again for joining me on the show today. This is a topic that is mission critical. (laughs) Um, We'd like to think that all of our content is mission critical, but some outranks others in terms of uh, aspects of importance. Um, As I've mentioned on prior podcasts, I'd say probably 80 to 90% of our clients are growing through acquisition. And that probably reflects the market overall. So I would think that a lot of you in the audience who are looking to grow your footprint are probably going to do it by acquiring other practices. We talked about a lot of different vehicles for getting acquisitions done. In the prior podcast, we talked about sort of the prep work and building a pipeline and and some of those types of things. But really, if you're going to grow through acquisition, it's not a matter of acquiring practices. It's a matter of integrating them successfully and making sure you get a return on investment from that. And that's not always readily apparent. We find that far too many people simply acquire practices and then have no game plan on how to improve them. So I'm going to talk through today a couple of really key components. Uh, We're going to talk about Um, the biggest drivers of value in a business. And I I think there are three of them. Uh, We're going to talk about ways to grow revenue. I'm going to give you three or four of those. And then we're going to talk about ways to reduce expenses. And we'll talk about two or three of those as well. And, And these are things that when taken in concert, really unlock a lot of value. And and you hear us use the phrase value creation often. This is mission critical if you're going to build a group practice. It doesn't matter if if your desires are to sell the business at some point or if you're going to continue to operate it. If you're going to acquire practices, and certainly for our audience, they are acquiring practices through the use of debt funds, meaning borrowing money from a bank to acquire those businesses. You've heard me say before, the bank is going to get paid. You may not, but the bank is going to get paid. If you intend to get paid, you need to unlock further value beyond what the uh, seller has been able to achieve at the point you acquired the practice. And this is absolutely critical to perpetuating a growth strategy, and it is mission critical to accelerating 
a growth a growth strategy through acquisition. So let's uh, let's talk about a couple of things in terms of value because I think it's really critically important to understand these. We, I think we may have touched on this in a prior episode um, a good ways back, but I'm going to refresh the three biggest drivers of value in a group practice. Okay, so when we look at um, a, a new client coming on board and we do our financial analysis and operational analysis and fillet all the numbers and and go through all of that, you know, we're looking for a lot of different things, but they're they're really three things that we seize upon. And these are three things that if you ever intend to sell your practice, an acquirer is going to look at. So it's important to be able, for your sell-side advisor, if you're going to sell the business, it's important to be able to promote these and show that you have a track record of success. So the three biggest drivers of value in a group practice, one, are same-store sales, two, something called utilization rate. And three, EBITDA margin as a percentage. We talk about EBITDA dollars a lot. And you've heard me say building a group practice is a game of EBITDA dollars because that influences valuation. But EBITDA margin is equally and sometimes more important. I'm going to tell you how and why to think about that. So again, the three things to focus on in terms of value in a, in a business are same store sales, utilization rates, and EBITDA margin. So let's dig into those three pretty quickly. When we say same store sales, what the heck does that mean? Um, and, and this is a phrase that's used in um, uh, financial analysis and, and business, you know, at an enterprise level. If you think about, um, you know, Lowe's or Home Depot and a hardware store context, or you think about McDonald's or Chick-fil-A from a fast food restaurant, you think about Marriott Courtyard, et cetera, et cetera. Just any type of business that's at an enterprise level, it has multiple locations. Same store sales is a metric that measures the performance of that individual business unit. Okay. And the reason that this is so important is because if you are going to borrow money to acquire practices, I, I just said a few seconds ago, the bank's going to get paid. You may not. Okay. So what you're really buying the business for is the opportunity to improve it and improve it can be revenue generation. It can be cost containment and margin expansion. Hopefully it's a combination of all of that. In other words, you're going to unlock more value and more cash flow out of that business above and beyond the debt service to, to pay for it. So when we talk about same store sales, what we see all too often is that somebody borrows a lot of money, they buy a handful of practices, and when they come to us and they say, you know, uh, our business grew 10% last year, or our group, our business grew 15% last year. We say, wow, that's, that's fantastic. That's two to three times as fast as the industry average. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Let's see what that actually means. And when they say their business grew 10% last year, and we see that they've got six locations, for example, and they acquired two locations last year, but the prior four didn't grow at all over the prior year. Then we're sitting there looking at it like, okay, was your revenue growth simply attributed 
to footprint expansion, meaning as long as the bank's willing to loan you money, you can continue growing revenue? Or do you have any type of secret sauce that says, hey, when I buy a business, I'm going to improve it the following ways? Same store sales is about the, the most objective, clearest barometer of your ability to operate and grow a business. That is all on you. And the reason that that's important is if you intend to um, simply acquire practices for a build and operate strategy, an income or cash flow strategy, and you can't improve them, then you're on razor thin margins with the bank. Arguably, you're paying back the bank loan, but you're not taking home any more money. And that failure to improve uh, a business and unlock further EBITDA in this case and cash flow beyond the debt service has a finite capacity. The bank will cut you off eventually. You will run out of of dollars available to to grow the footprint. On the other hand, if if you acquire practices and your desire is to sell the business at some point, you probably want to sell it for a really high valuation multiple and a premium, right? Well, we know that the the enterprise level groups and private equity groups that are going to buy your business are, are going to pay a premium for your business. Typically, if you roll equity and stay on board, you've heard us talk about deal structure before. So are they going to want you to stay on board if you can't prove that you can grow and, and execute the businesses that you acquire? Probably not. And in other words, this is a face in the mirror test. What's your real value as an operator? And if you can't grow a business after you've acquired that business, it's it's a pretty cold glass of water in the face. So the first thing to, to focus on before you take on any more debt, before you acquire any more practices, is to look at the ones you have acquired even and even your core business through the years and not just look at the total growth rate of the business year over year, but to look at the individual growth rates of each independent practice and see which ones are performing and which ones aren't. And if they're all growing, they should all be growing faster than the industry average. In short, the industry is projected to grow at about a 5% compounded annual growth rate over the next five years. In a group context, you should be growing each location at two times the industry average, which is to say double digits, 10% minimum on same store sales. Hopefully that makes sense. Utilization rate. Utilization rate is something that um, is, you've heard us say it's a, it's a private equity metric. And the, the target you're shooting for is $125 to $175 per chair per hour. This is a measure of how efficiently you run the business and how you're able to generate revenue on a least common denominator approach. So it doesn't matter how many operatories you have in a practice anymore. It matters how how efficiently they're used, how how many hours they're full or not full, how many days uh, of the week they're open and hours per day that they're open. And are you gaining maximum utility out of that fixed cost? And tracking it, when we say utilization rate, tracking it on a per chair per hour basis and the target being roughly $150, somewhere between $125 and $175 per chair per hour is what you're going after. 
if you're on the high end of that scale, that says you're using your your fixed capacity very efficiently. You probably don't have a lot of open chair time um, or or time that you miss due to cancellations or no shows and things like that. Uh, and you're operating a very efficient business. Probably means you're growing same store sales also to to bounce back to that concept. Utilization rate is something that particularly private equity groups use when they evaluate the upside potential of a business to acquire. So much like I just said about acquiring a practice and then improving it for you, they look at your business the same way. And what they want to know is if I pay a premium for this business, is there any more juice that I can squeeze out of this? You know, is is there any more upside or or is this operator so good they they've you know, maxed out everything and there's there's not a lot of upside left for me. Um, so suffice to say, looking at your available capacity from a utilization rate is critically important. And then the last piece I mentioned was EBITDA margin. Again, you've heard us talk a lot about EBITDA dollars and group practices are a game of EBITDA dollars. That is certainly true. But as you build your business and as you acquire more practices, you should you should be gaining efficiencies in the business. Um, and, and by that, I mean, you should be able to take greater advantage of utilization rate, marketing expenditure, um, specialty services, all that kind of good stuff. But as you start adding more to the top line in terms of revenue generation, it's not a, it should not be a one-to-one relationship that for every dollar you add in revenue, you have to add a dollar of cost, God forbid, on uh, quite the contrary, the beauty of a dental practice is is the blend of reasonable fixed costs and reasonable variable costs. And the more you're able to generate revenue above and beyond that fixed cost basis is the more margin you unlock. So ideally, you are growing your EBITDA margin, meaning the percentage, at a faster rate than the revenue generation of the business. Let me put that another way. You've heard us talk about a concept called operating leverage. Operating leverage is is a measure of efficiency in business, and it basically is an analysis or a calculation of how efficiently you're using your fixed inputs um, and every um, input into the business to generate um, a dollar of revenue and how quickly that dollar of revenue, how much, drops to the bottom line. So if you're growing your bottom line percentage faster than your top line percentage, you are operating a highly efficient business. And a dental practice has a wonderful opportunity to do that. So when we talk about EBITDA dollars, yeah, you need to know EBITDA dollars because that influences things like, um, you know, uh, funded debt to EBITDA ratios in terms of lending. It influences things like valuation multiples in terms of, um, you know, a potential exit for the business or arbitrage in terms of equity roll into the business. All that kind of stuff. EBITDA dollars are are certainly um, important, but EBITDA margin is one that again is a measure of efficiency. And if you can grow your bottom line faster than your top line you're really cooking with gas and you have phenomenal upside potential in the business. So the three biggest drivers of value are same store sales, utilization rate, and EBITDA margin. 
Now that we understand those and we know what the context around which we're trying to build in terms of this group practice, let's talk about ways to unlock all of that. Okay. So when you acquire a business, when you acquire a practice, um, you've heard us talk about target acquisition profile in terms of the general profile of the practice. It, you know, how many operatories is the seller going to stay on board? Um, is there Medicaid concentration? Uh, you know, uh, service mix, clinical services mix, payer mix, et cetera, et cetera. They're all that type of stuff that you want to know uh, in terms of target acquisition profile. But you also want to size up two or three or four areas to grow revenue post-acquisition, meaning what can you bring to the table, your secret sauce, that unlocks more revenue potential than what the seller could generate on their own? And simply put, the, the biggest ways to do that are preferential insurance reimbursement rates. Enterprise-level DSOs are renowned for this. They get paid more for a crown than you and I get paid for a crown. So they they understand that for every crown you did last year, if they overlay their fee schedule on top of yours and it's a net gain of a couple of dollars or a lot of dollars, that's accretive to revenue on day one going forward for them. Obviously, beyond insurance uh, reimbursement rates, you've got your expansion of clinical services. Are you able to unlock greater value from a revenue generation standpoint because you can do expanded endodontic work, you can do clear aligner therapy, you can do guided implant surgery, you can do single visit restorations in CAD CAM, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what are the, the services that you and your team can provide, uh, clinically speaking, that the seller could not or would not and was simply referring out all of it? Those are usually fairly easy pickups. You're probably not going to pick up all of them, understandably. You're still going to refer some services out if you don't have that specialty in-house, obviously. But these are quantifiable, and you need to understand what those um, typical procedure counts are that you can keep in-house, and you need to quantify them based around expectations. Additionally, there's the, the utilization rate from an ex expansion of capacity. That's days and hours. You've heard me talk about how the younger patient base, i.e. millennials, make buying decisions around healthcare services, and, and it's from a consumerism mindset. So they're looking to um, get dental work done, go to the dentist um, you know, on expanded days and hours, not traditionally eight to five, Monday through Thursday. So when you acquire this practice, are you able to recruit an associate to come in there and, and maybe reconfigure some of the way the patients are scheduled and the hours of operation instead of being eight to five Monday through Thursday? Are we seven to seven Monday through Thursday with a half day Friday and a half day Saturday or something like that? And, and if you can gain more productive capacity, once again, taking advantage of your fixed cost, you can unlock a phenomenal amount of value. And that's usually a pretty easy pickup if you can attract more providers into that practice and maybe have to add a little bit of staff. Suffice to say, you don't have to buy more chairs. You don't have to buy more pumps and compressors or x-rays or anything like that. You don't have to pay more rent 
Uh, those are all fixed. So let's figure out what we can do to generate more revenue beyond it. Um, and then finally, uh, maximizing your marketing spend to generate new patients. Um, the bigger the business gets, it stands to reason that you may spend more on marketing, but the percentage is probably going to decrease and you're going to be able to allocate those costs across all of the um, uh, the practices, even if they're not branded, um, even if they're not under a common brand, essentially. So, you know, maximizing your marketing spend, understanding where your, your marketing dollars are going, and then being able to track the results of it. We typically see that our clients um, that uh, that acquire a practice are able to to generate new patient flows of about fifty percent increase over what the prior um, owner was all but immediately. And if you're able to generate more new patients through your uh, more efficient marketing spend, more targeted marketing spend, um, then that uh, bodes really really well for for things like same store sales, obviously but also just increasing the entire capacity of, of the practice you've acquired. So uh, insurance uh, reimbursement rates, expansion of clinical services, expansion of days and hours, and then marketing spend are really the three, or excuse me, four primary areas of focus for most, biz, most existing group practices when they acquire um, a business and, and are able to unlock value through any combination of those four, or hopefully all of them. Now let's move a little bit to the uh, expense side of the ledger. And um, this is something where, you know, it's, it's really more about expense reduction. Um, and they can expense reduction can come in a variety of, of ways in different areas. And really, this is a combination of, of all of the above. And, and you start thinking about, you know, it's just a point here or there, right? But a point here or there off of millions in revenue all of a sudden adds up to a lot. And um, it's something that might be immediate in terms of um, uh, cost reduction, or it might take a little bit longer to unlock. But, you know, the big ones really are obviously your clinical supplies and lab costs. I kind of look at those as one and the same, even though they're completely separate, but it's a function of clinical work being done, obviously. And, you know, I, I think that having preferential arrangements with your supplier or your distributor uh, and a limited set of labs that do high quality work uh, is, is of critical importance, really. And for those uh, who, you know, I, I, as many of you know, I came from the world of distribution and while I don't own any stock in any of those companies um, and really don't have a dog in that fight, what I would tell you from a, a, just a general philosophy is that you're typically better off working, choosing one supplier and working with them almost exclusively. And the reason for that is you increase your buying power for one, um, you know, two, if you have all of your eggs in one basket, or at least most of them in one basket, you are a priority for the distributor's service tech service department. Okay, so the the philosophy that I'm gonna I'm gonna pit all the distributors against one another, and I'm gonna shop them all and make them compete to give me the lowest price and everything like that. That's that's okay, but once you 
once you develop a formulary with one of them um, and the ability to, to set like a, a purchasing schedule and, and have some control around it and everything, then you need to kind of go all in with one. Because when you get, God forbid, a pump or a compressor that goes down or you know your pan ceph or something like that, or a, a treatment room is down, you want to know that their tech service department is going to treat you as a priority and they're going to get somebody out there ASAP. If you split all of your business amongst the multiple distributors that might be in your market, you're a priority for no one. And that's a bad place to be when you have an urgent need at hand. So I would tell you, pick one horse, ride it, and certainly evaluate their cost of clinical supplies um, and, and, and make them work with you to achieve you know, something around about a 5% of, of revenue number. Same for labs, you ought to be about 5% there. So clinical supplies and labs are really um, uh, you know, easy areas to start to cut some costs and have some uh, existing relationships in place um, that you can facilitate a change relatively quickly, I would say. You know, professional services, which are like accounting and legal or and or consulting, um, you know, marketing, et cetera, those are probably uh, hopefully in place. And once you make that change, the, the incremental cost, there ought to be some savings um, on a per location basis, at least, meaning, a, a, a you know, diminishing costs going forward to add additional locations and get them on the same chart of accounts and everything like that. So that ought to be a, an overall reduction. Uh, and then, you know, employee benefits is another one. You're going to change benefit and payroll um, all but immediately. And and hopefully the more employees you get on uh, uh, health benefits is the, the incremental reduction in cost for that. Um, the biggest one, I would tell you, is a reduction of employee headcount through centralized services. I kind of left this one toward the end because it's obviously um, kind of a, a tough road to, to navigate. Uh, you know, when you acquire a practice, you don't want to send the signal that you're going to start chopping heads right away. Um, that's usually bad for morale and not the best thing to do, obviously. Uh, but And then there are some groups that choose not to centralize services at all. But for those that do, when you start to move beyond just your you know, um, marketing services, your uh, bookkeeping and accounting and controller functions, your HR and payroll pieces. When you start building call centers for inbound calls and then, um, you know, accounts receivable and insurance processing and some of that heavier load, the idea is to, to take some of those services uh, and the headcount specifically out of a practice level and, and centralize it. And the idea being that you can save on headcount when you're doing it. If you can start to, to reduce the wage, uh, the overall wages of the business, you can, you can really unlock a lot of value, but that is a, um, uh, a longer term type, uh, type of a, an initiative, I would say. It's not something that you're going to realize on day one, or it could send the wrong signal, but hopefully when we start talking about reducing expenses, some combination of clinical supplies and even office supplies for that matter, lab costs, professional services, and potential uh, employee benefits and reduction of headcount through centralization are areas where we're looking to make uh, pickup uh, in terms of cost reductions beyond just the revenue expansion. So like I say, you're 
the real thing to keep in mind here is that you have to unlock value in a business after you acquire it. If you don't, you're going to end up being upside down and you're going to run out of rope from your lender eventually. And it's just a very precarious way to operate a business. So when we start talking about that, I can't impress upon you enough that when you're going to acquire a business, you need to identify and quantify the areas of revenue generation and cost reduction and be able to forecast that with some degree of certainty and confidence. If you're able to do that, and if you're able to realize those cost synergies and those revenue generation opportunities, the likelihood is that you're you're, uh, increasing your operating leverage in the business, meaning you're growing your bottom line faster than your top line. In that case, you're cooking with gas, your lending window is probably going to stay open. You're going to build a more successful business. You're going to generate same store sales, maximize utilization rates, and expand EBITDA margin. And now you've got a business that is uh, incredibly successful. If you want to operate it for cash flow purposes, you can do that indefinitely. And if you want to build it for sale, it's going to value really, really highly. I hope all that sort of comes together and makes sense for you. Um, because these are, are really important aspects of growing through acquisition. So I hope everybody found that um, educational, enlightening, <laughs> you know, um, worthy of, of your time. Uh, these are these are experiences that we all draw upon uh, in working with clients and being as um, intimately familiar with group practices uh, as we are, and they're they're really some of the fundamentals about building a successful group. So I, I wanted to talk also about some things we've got coming up for just a quick second. I think on the last podcast. Um, I, I teased on uh, our mergers, acquisitions, and affiliation masterclass uh, that's going to be on January 13th and 14th. We have added another class. It's going to be February 17th and 18th. So that two-day class will appear once in January and once in February. Um, we piloted uh, this subject matter with a, a group back in November, um, and it was received extremely well. So the the mergers, acquisitions, and affiliations masterclass um, is is really one that we talk about. We work through what target acquisition profile is. We talk about how to build a pipeline. We talk about um, how to build a pitch deck and go through some very specific examples of that. And there's some key takeaways and give you some framework on that. And then we talk through um, and have some legal counsel present on things like acquiring a practice outright, acquiring a practice with an equity role and a minority partnership into your business. We talk about the subject of affiliations pretty thoroughly and how to unlock that type of a value. And then we talk about a a business-to-business merger and cap table merger. And between those four aspects, acquisitions, acquisitions with an equity role, affiliations, and mergers, those four tools are really tools in the toolbox that allow you to approach your marketplace um, from a completely different standpoint than your run-of-the-mill competition. Run-of-the-mill competition being another entrepreneurial dentist that wants to acquire a practice, and they're only talking about acquiring it through an outright sale. If you have more tools in your toolbox, you can approach different um, 
prospective sellers in different ways. And hopefully you can get to them before they list their practice uh, with a broker. And that allows you a much more um, dynamic opportunity to grow the footprint of your business through a variety of means. So those, those master classes are really geared towards um, creating, uh, taking concepts and creating new tools in your toolbox. And if you're going to grow through acquisition, I think you probably find it valuable. So feel free to um, uh, reach out to us if you've got further questions or want to talk about some of that offline. Um, and we'll link to it in the show notes as well on um, the registration details and all that kind of good stuff too. One other um, uh, educational event I wanted to put on your radar that we are in the pr- uh, in the planning stages right now. I don't think we have released this on uh, a press release yet, but we are going to be a, doing a larger format event in South Florida um, that we're calling a pinnacle event, probably up to about 100 people. Um, and it'll be a, a much wider survey at a higher level of a lot of our content with some uh, hand-selected industry partners on different, different subject matter. Um, but it'll be a, a, a much more you know, wider-ranging but still fairly comprehensive look at a, at a lot of different subjects. We'll be releasing more details about that coming up. But I wanted to put it on your radar because it's going to be March 30th through April 1st. Um, and it's going to be in the South Florida area. We're still finalizing details with the hotel and everything like that. So more details to come for sure. But for those that are looking, uh, for those who've never spent any time with us or seen us speak on stage, and maybe are only aware of Polaris through the podcast, this uh, South Florida event, the end of March and beginning of April, could be a, a you know a, a nice touch, I would say, or a touch point on a, a variety of subject matters in different areas. So um, I encourage you to think about that if you're looking for a conference to attend and you're looking for some educational um, opportunities to learn. On the other hand, if you uh, are pretty dialed into your business and you wanna improve what you're doing and you're growing through acquisition, that uh, merger acquisition and affiliation masterclass might be the, the sharp uh, knife that you're looking for to, to really execute at a high level in 2022. There'll be additional educational opportunities forthcoming, but I want to get these on your radar and use the opportunity today um, uh, to to fill you in on them. Like I say, feel free to reach out to me directly if you've got questions or comments. You know you can reach me at perrin at polarishealthcarepartners.com with any questions. And if you uh, have a broad ranging question, I may use it on an upcoming episode too. Thanks so much for being in the audience. Uh, we really appreciate the positive feedback we get on the podcast. I'm, I'm glad to hear that it lands so well with so many of you and, and the compliments we get. Um, you know, honestly, they keep us going. So I, I appreciate that. We also appreciate your ratings. If you would just take a second and, and give us a rating on um, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever it is that you, you listen to your podcast. Um, and even drop us a comment on there too. Um, We really do appreciate it and are, are grateful for all of it. Thanks so much for being a subscriber and a listener. We will surely see you or hear you on the next episode of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. Take care.